Blog Talk Radio. Ironically, 
he was the very first guest um, on the Orange Report over four years ago, and here we are having him back on. So I'm really looking forward to that. So without further ado, Longhorn Grace, Fozzie Whitaker on the Orange Report. How's it going tonight, Fozzie? Uh, it's going well. Uh, just uh, actually driving on the road, but uh, everything is going well. Well, man, I really appreciate it. And since I since I announced the, um, the other night on Twitter you would be on, um, man, I probably got a hundred texts from people excited to to hear you on because I tell you what, um, there, there's no doubt for me and many other um, Longhorn fans, alums, and and everybody else that you're one of the all-time favorite um, Longhorn fans. So anytime you're on anybody's show, uh, people love to hear what you have to say because we just love the way you play, the way you carry yourself, and. I guess that where I want to start with you is, uh, you know, it looks like you finally found a good home. You know, Carolina Panthers, y'all went on a heck of a run this year. Obviously, y'all ran into a very tough, um, hot Denver defense. But tell us about the experience of just being part of a 15-1 and team and going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, so uh, it was, first off, uh, I felt like we had a great season. It was fun uh, just being a part of this organization, uh, you know, under Coach Rivera. Uh, just the, the leadership and the type of person that he is and what he stands for. Uh, and then the type of team that we had, uh, it, it really felt like a family atmosphere. And uh, each week that we went into a game, we felt like we were prepared. And uh, the preparation that we put in throughout the week, uh, you know, just gave us the ability to go out and, and continue to perform uh, week in and week out to, to uh, a better level than the other teams for the most part. So, uh, it was definitely a, a fun and uh, motivating season for us to get to the Super Bowl, and uh, uh, we definitely want to get back there again next year and uh, be on the opposite end of it. Well, yeah, and I, and I, I was actually rooting for y'all. Um, you know, I want to talk about your quarterback. You can't have anybody on from the Carolina Panthers unless you talk about Cam Newton because, I mean, for whatever reason – he, he is such a polarizing individual, and I don't know why, because I'm a fan of his, and, and the more the media and certain fans kind of align themselves against him, the bigger fan I became, because all I saw every week and week out, Cam Newton went out there and gave his all on the football field. He carried himself very well, and it seems like the harder he tried, the more people didn't like him. So from you being around him every day in the locker room, what, what is your take on Cam Newton and, and the way, I guess, the vast majority of the fans look at him? Because, obviously, I look at him completely different than both. Uh, well, first off, uh, you know, Cam is a great guy and a very experienced leader that, uh, you know, if we didn't have him on our team, obviously we wouldn't have been able to be uh, in the position that we were in playing in the Super Bowl and going 15-1 and one in the regular season. Uh, so that, that just goes to show testament of, the, the type of character and the type of talents and abilities that Cam has as a football player and as a person. And, uh, man, he, he's fun to be around. He makes practice lighter. Uh, you know, he keeps everybody on their toes, uh, just making sure that everybody knows what they're doing and at the same time making sure that we're having fun while doing it because we know football uh, can be a grind, you know, whenever you go 16 weeks playing a game, getting your body hit, uh, practice, every single day just banging against each other. You know, it, it becomes a grind. Uh, but with the team that we had, man, it seemed like it was fun to go out to practice every single day. And uh, the competition level that was there between the offense and the defense uh, always made it, made it uh, you know, just 
that much more fun to be a part of. Yeah, obviously, you know, playing in the NFL is, you know, you know, everybody you know, as fans, all we see is the games on Sunday and, and kind of the 16, 17-week grind. But for you guys, we know it's a, it's a 24-7 deal. So kind of tell us what you're doing now in the offseason. Yes, sir. So uh, actually uh, started back training again, and uh, I, I stay in Austin. Uh, this is where I do my offseason training at. But uh, I train – uh, at a couple different spots, and uh, the thing that, uh, like you said, that a lot of people may not really know or understand is our timeline. Seems like it's 24/7. Is uh, we get to have a little bit of off time, which is technically away from uh, the football team's facility, but at the same time we have to continue to keep our bodies in shape, uh, make sure we come back to camp in uh, April, which uh, we actually have to report back April 25th. Uh, just make sure that, that we're good and ready to go and uh, back in shape so that we can start up our, our new run for uh, Super Bowl in 2016. Well, I, I know you stay busy with your, your NFL grind and everything, but I, I couldn't have you on unless I, I talked a little bit about our Longhorns. Um, obviously, you know, new, new head coach, um, Coach Strong, you know, basically having to rebuild the roster in the last couple of years. I mean, it's not gone as well as we at all hoped. But I guess from the outside looking in now, um, you know, as a fan, you know, uh, now, what, what is your take on the state of Longhorn football and what really needs to happen to get this thing back on the track? Because we've had some lean years of, of recently. Uh, I think Coach uh, having a top-tier recruiting class this year, um, seeing the way that we competed in a lot of the games last year, uh, I feel like we, we are creating the mold to be a team to be beat in the Big 12, and I feel like uh, Coach Strong is going to be able to lead us in that direction, uh, and I think it will happen fast. And uh, guys are going to step up and continue to make plays. The young guys that uh, Coach has brought in, uh, people like Malik Jefferson, people people of that caliber that are going to come in and step in as a freshman and play as true sophomores as well, uh, I believe that will give the Longhorns an edge to, to be competitive again. Well, what would, you know, I'm, I'm someone that obviously, you know, during my, my Monday through, through Friday time, uh, I, I work with at-risk um, youth. Everybody knows that. I'm in inner-city Houston. You know, I grew up in inner-city Houston, so it's kind of my passion. And I always get a lot of guys that I work with that are really good football players and I always try to tell them to have a plan B. Yeah, I, I, I'd like everybody to make it to the NFL as well, but we know that that's just not likely. And sometimes I think the the, 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 the message goes hollow from somebody like me. So I know a lot of my guys listen to the show, and, and I'm definitely going to play it back for them. What would you tell a young guy that's a sophomore, junior in high school, or even a, a freshman or sophomore in college uh, that, that has dreams of going to the NFL, but knowing not everybody can make it, um, what what do they really need to do to have a plan B in regards to education and life? So, whenever uh, I was younger, is that, uh, you know, at some point in time in your life, whether it's in high school or college, or uh, hopefully if you get to make it to the NFL, uh your NFL or football career is going to come to an end uh, regardless of what level you play at. It doesn't matter. It's going to come to an end. And what you have to realize is 
what are you going to do whenever that end comes? And one thing that my mother always told me was make sure that you have uh, your grades in line. First off, not just because you need grades to, to play, uh, because if you're failing, you won't be able to play, uh, but have your grades in line so that you could be able to get accepted into any school that you wanted to, uh, not off of your athletic merits, but also off your academic merits, just because um, it, it just creates, the type of responsibility that you're going to need in order to be successful in college as far as in the classroom. Uh, kind of a big step going from high school to college, uh, especially the amount of reading and the papers that you have to write in length, uh, the detail that you have to go into and the research that you have to put in. Uh, it, it's a big difference and a huge jump that uh, some people, if you're not prepared for it, can be overwhelming. But uh, I feel like as long as you have a game plan going into what you're trying to do, especially managing it, uh, being an athlete as well, uh, you just have to be able to manage that time very well of, okay, I'm going to commit this time to football, and then I'm going to commit this time to studying in the book to continue to make sure that I don't get behind class whenever my body feels very weak from having a two-a-day practice. Uh, that's, that's one thing that – I'm sorry, my son is <laughs> – a little upset in the background, but that's one thing that uh, okay. kind of helped me get. <laughs> kind of one thing that helped me get to where I was today is the time management that I had, uh, trying to get manage the, the the differences in between academics and athletics. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's um, great advice. Um, just a couple more questions. I know you're on the road. Um, what is, what is your take on, obviously, the, the, the safety? You're a player. You want to have a, a future outside of football at this point. Um, you know, the NFL, I think, has made some tries with the concussions and those things, and it's a fine line because players want to get back in the game and compete, but yet they know they've got to take care of themselves. And, I, I mean, we all know it's reality. Coaches push for players to get back sometimes before they're, they're ready to be played. What, what is your take on the whole thing with injuries, concussions, and the future of football? Well, I think uh, the NFL uh, in particular and college in particular are headed in the right direction with uh, the targeting rules that have been taken in place, uh, the fines and the suspensions that go along with illegal hits that happen in the NFL. Uh, I think they're doing that to help the players uh, have more successful careers uh, while they're playing, but also have uh, a better successful life after football. It kind of, it kind of, you you don't want to get to the point where, you know, you've had so many hits in the head, uh, or you've tried to wear your body down so much, or try to get back on the field before that your body is ready. That uh, you're going to have those long-term, life-lasting effects. You don't want that uh, to happen to you. Even though football is a very physical sport, uh, at the end of the day, you want to walk away from it as healthy as possible. That. Uh, gives you the best chance to continue to have a normal, successful life uh, whenever you're done playing 20, 30, 40 years. Right. As you as you said earlier, you know, giving advice to the younger players, you know, everybody's career is going to come to the end. And I'm sure you even thought about yours. You, I, I think you've got, you know, several good years left. But once, you're, once you know that that day has come and you're moving on to, I guess, plan or phase two of your life, what do you see yourself doing? Do you think you're going to go into coaching, speaking? What, what do you see for Fosby? Uh So I'm, I'm not a big on coaching. Uh, I love the game of football, but I'm not necessarily all the way 
sold on coaching. I, although I wouldn't put it all the way out the window because I, that's how much I love the game is just to be around it. But uh, one thing that I've always wanted to do uh, was, was uh, doing the football operations and working the football administration side. Uh, okay. And that's kind of what I was trying to learn while I was actually rehabbing my knee in 2012. Uh, I did an internship. Uh, underneath our football administrator, Arthur Johnson and Marcus Tubb, uh, kind of learning the ropes of, uh, you know, what it takes to do this job, kind of the things that I have to put in, the hours that you have to put in, uh, the communication that you have to have with uh, just various vendors and people that are associated with the football program in general. Um, and it was very eye-opening, and uh, I was able to help throw an event for them uh, whenever they did the uh, Ricky Williams statue unveiling uh, that spring semester, uh, it was it was very fun and something that uh, you know I could really take away from it and build off of uh, whenever I finish my football career. Man, that's awesome! I, I think you would be uh, I think you would do that at a high level. Well, Fozzie, I'm going to let you go. I know you're on the road, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I know we had a lot of listeners tonight and enjoyed it. And, I, and I'll speak for all of them, and especially myself. Um, there's a lot of people who do follow your career, and, and we love what you do, not only in, in football, but as a person. And I wish you nothing but the best, um, sir. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate you having me on, and I hope you have a good night as well. All right, man. We'll be in touch. Appreciate you. Tell, you, tell your son hi there, too. I know that's fun being a father. <laughs> yes, sir, it is. All right. Thanks a lot, Fozzie. We appreciate you. All right, now. Thank you. All right. Fozzie Whitaker joining the Orange Report. Man, one of our favorite guests and uh, one of uh, my favorite players of all time. Yes, we can talk about the Earl Campbells and the Vince Youngs and the Ricky Williams and the Lynn, the Colt McCoys and, and all those, um, the superstars. But I tell you what, anybody that saw what Fozzie Whitaker did, the injuries he overcame while he was on the 40 acres and then came back his last year and ran that wildcat formation. Um, um, man, I just, just an outstanding human being and an outstanding football player. And I could never, I could uh, just as happy as I can be to see him um, catch on with a, um, an outstanding uh, franchise as the Carolina Panthers. Um, and yes, um, they fell a little short, and I know a lot of people were rooting against the Carolina Panthers because, you know, for whatever reason, as he talked about, um, Cam Newton, but I was sure rooting for him. I'd love to see Fozzie get him a ring, and I think um, him sticking with Carolina the next couple of years, I think they're going to be in good shape to do that, and that would be really awesome um, to see him um, succeed in that way. So, again, I appreciate Fozzie Whitaker um, coming on the Orange Report. Um, it's like I've said many times, the probably the greatest um, excitement of doing this show uh, is, man, is getting to interview and talk to so many Longhorn greats and other um, – professionals that, that cover athletics, cover UT athletics, cover other teams, um, because I can tell you, and I, you, know, you know, people say, yeah, we know that. Like, I ain't, I'm not a professional at this, never professed to be, don't want to be a professional at this. Um, this, is, this was a hobby that kind of just grew uh, into something bigger than I'd ever imagined, and I'm truly blessed to do it. And uh, I don't know when it will end. I have to be honest with the fans. I really thought about ending it um, earlier this year because my schedule just got so busy. Uh, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna continue to roll with the orange report just until I until I just don't think it's worth time or, or you know that nobody has any interest in it. I don't know if it'll be an every Wednesday show, every two weeks, or how we'll roll with it. 
um, if it'll just be um, special shows like tonight and we know we're going to have a good guest on or what. But uh, I enjoy doing it. And like I said, the biggest part of it is obviously getting to interview all of the, um, the, the, the great people that we get to do. And, and then a lot of times these interviews um, lead me to getting to meeting them. And like I said, I've, I've gotten to uh, meet Fozzie a couple times and I've met his family. And, uh, man, you could not ask for a better uh, young man and a, a better group of um of people that, that I've ever been around. And, you know, obviously I've told this story before uh, when I went back to UT to, to finish my master's several years ago. Uh, Fozzie had just um, – he was still playing. I mean, let me, just, let me just tell the story for those that don't know. When Fozzie got through playing at Texas, not only did he have his bachelor's degree, he also had his master's degree. Um, that, that's, that's a hell of an accomplishment to play football full-time and get a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. But um, he just happened to um, – to finish his master's at the same time I did and um, um, got to take a picture with him there at the alumni center, um, you know, got to meet his family, very gracious. Obviously everybody recognized him, knew who he was, and he had to stand around and take a, a million pictures with everybody. And, and he did it. And, 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 you know, even though it was his family's day, they were all there. Um, he did it graciously and, uh, you know, never complained. So I still had that picture um, here at the house, uh, me and him in our captain, master captain gowns. Um, so it's one of my favorite pictures of all time. So I'll at least tell him that. But yeah, that's that's a heck of an accomplishment for a young man to to complete uh, both degrees. Uh, some of us were lucky to get one degree um, in, in eight or nine years, and he did a master's and a bachelor's in about four and a half five years. So that's pretty incredible. So well, hopefully Matt will be um, I'll be jumping on board here in just a little bit. Um, Let's talk about spring practice a little bit. I do have a few updates, not many. Obviously, the team's only had three practices. Um, most of the reports have pretty much put um, Longhorn Nation on tilt. Um, but, you know, um, it, you know, it, it's kind of predictable, I, I would think. Um, you, know, it, it, you know, a lot of people are not familiar with our new offense. The Gilbert offense slash Baylor offense is, is a quick read offense. I mean, it snapped the ball. You know, boom, boom, look, look, throw the ball. I mean, there's not a lot of, um, you know, first progression, second, third, fourth progression, dump it off. I mean, it's read, read, go, you know. you know. So, you know, ironically, Swoops has not been a very successful quarterback. Uh, but if, if he ever is, this is the type of offense that he's going to be successful in. I'm going to be quite honest. I'm not convinced he's going to be successful in it. Um, all we can do is hope that I think – under the current situation, he may be the only option we have. I mean, Gerard Hurd um, is just not exhibiting at this point the accuracy or the arm strength that we need to make some of the throws. Um, Swoops has arm strength. Obviously, his biggest concern is accuracy and nervousness is within the, within the pocket. And I mean, it's well documented. I mean, Swoops is probably an All-American in practice. Um, you know, he's you know you've heard terms. Uh, he's a coach. He's a coach killer. Uh, because, I mean, he looks so good in practice, and then the lights come on, and he feels a little pressure and gets nervous. All we can hope for now, that, you know, in year four, he's starting to grow up. Um, I, I would be lying if this, I said I didn't have real concerns. But, uh, you know, I, I fully, unless something crazy happens in the next, you know, three or four weeks of spring practice and then, the, you know, the, the, the month or so of fall camp, I would be really, really surprised if um, if Swoops is not the starter. Now, with that said, I, I, I could see Gerard Hurd getting in because what I mean, what we all know, what Hurd brings to the table 
is, you know, in this quick read offense, if the first option, second option is not there, uh, you know, Hurd can tuck it and, 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 you know, pick up five yards, 15 yards, or go 75 yards with his legs. With Swoops, you're just not going to have the threat of that. Uh, and so the defense is going to be able to lay back a little bit. They're going to be on their heels a little more than Hurd. So I still think if Hurd can start to develop some some accuracy, you know, he's just not going to be able to make all the, all the throws all the time. Um, so I think, you know, Hurd still has a good chance to start. And then I think the, the dark horse in this thing is, is probably Shane Bichelle, the true freshman. At least he is on campus. Um, but, I mean, if you've seen the pictures of him, yeah, he can make all the throws, but, I mean, he just doesn't physically look the part yet. Um, does that not mean he can't play? He gets good protection, but I'm just afraid if Shane Bichelle, you know, takes off and runs and gets hit, he may break in two at this point. I just don't know if he's physically ready. Uh, but, I mean, if Sloot stalters, Herder doesn't do it, I could very well see uh, Shane uh, getting some reps. I think it would be best if Shane um, had a red shirt year and then I could really see him starting in 2017. The key is, will the team and, and Strong win enough games to where Strong is on the sideline in 2017? I mean, that's really the elephant in the room at this point. And I don't think there's a definitive number that Strong has to win. Um, I don't think he's been given a definitive number. But I just don't see how he survives if he if he goes six and six, five and seven, seven and five, depending on how some of those five games if we lose uh, look like. I mean, if you go seven and five and win a bowl game and go eight and five, man, I could see I could see Strong coming back in 2017. But man, oh man, the the the, the fan base would be completely splintered because I mean I can tell you right now I think about half the fans. Um, want Strong out now. So I just think it would become even more splintered. Um, also, you have to think at some point, if we don't start winning, yes, you know, back-to-back, fairly, you know, you know, top 10, top 12 recruiting classes, a lot of good players. At some point, recruiting is going to, to, to fall off a little bit. You're not going to get some of the guys you would have got if you were 9-3 and three or 10-2 and two or even 8-4. and four. Guys are just going to, you know, quit coming thinking, well, the future is bright. You know, three years in and you're still at seven wins, the future ain't that bright. And, you know, it is what it is. We've got to start winning more games. So, I mean, it's a defining moment for Strong in his career at Texas 2016. And I just don't know if he's going to be willing to, you know, you know how long he will stick with Swoops or how long he'll stick with Hurd. Then you have one if they struggle or they're looking over their shoulder, if they make a bad throw, a bad play, and then we're running – two and three different quarterbacks, and now does he just pick one and roll with it and see what happens? I mean, there's a lot of decisions that, that have to be made between now and the, the Notre Dame game um, in the fall. So um, um, I'm hoping that Strong makes the right decision, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure he will, or he'll make the one that he thinks is best, and then we're just going to see how it goes because there's no doubt that he's coaching for his job in 2016. And anybody that says he's not um, – is not living in reality, in my opinion, because we just can't continue to go six and six. I mean, I mean, obviously you go, you know, you go seven and five, and they bring you back. I mean, you know, there's no way he survives seven and five in 2017. Eight and four may not get it done. I mean, he's going to have to start. I mean, four years in, and we're and we're having a conversation about say, about where a coach could come back of winning seven or eight games. I mean, that's average below average football. I mean, I'm not going to throw any other programs under the under the bus here, but I mean that's just that's um 
that's that's not big time um, Division One football talk, in my opinion. I mean, we we should be having the conversation, um, you know, ten or eleven wins. Yes, I know the roster is a disaster, the talent levels down, but you know, my probably my biggest disgust right now and disappointment with most Longhorn fans is we've lowered we've lowered our expectations so low. I mean, I was on a message board the other day, and, and people were, were talking about, well, you know, I'm really looking forward to 2016. We can go 7-5 and, and win a bowl game, get to eight wins. You know, I don't know if that's the reality they think we're at or if that's their expectation, but, I mean, we've been having these 7-5, and 8-4, and 6-6 six conversations now for six years. So I'm just going to be honest. My, my, my um, uh Acceptance level is extremely low, and I and I've been thinking about what number um, is, is decent for me. I, I'm at nine and three, or I'm off the strong wagon for 2016. I, I mean, I, I, eight and four. Okay, let's say we, you know, let's say we we're, we're, we lose a tough game at the end, and that we, when it's all said and done in, in November, we're eight and four. But I feel like, man, I saw some things this year that were finally, you know, man, I can, I can, I can probably go eight and four. But as I sit today in March, looking forward, nine and three has got to be the number. I'm tired of the. Well, we're at seven and five. You know, we need another recruiting class. I, I'm just tired of those you know, conversations, and I and I think it's become so prevalent among us fans because we haven't been good since 2009. We've lowered our expectations. Well. You know what? It's time, in my opinion, it's time to raise them back up. Strong is making five million dollars a year. He's making big money. It's time to produce, and I think he and I think he realized that. And I do admire that about it. He hasn't sat there and made an excuse at any of his press conference. He said we've got to win more games, and so uh, that's where I'm at. Well, Matt, looks like Matt is on the line. He missed Fozzie, and that was the best part of the show. Honestly, now I'm just rattling on. But Fozzie was awesome. What's going on, Matt? I know. I feel bad that I missed Fozzie. He's the man, and I wish I could have. Uh could have talked with him, but sorry, I'm late. I'm here now and ready to rock and roll. Yeah, it was great. I asked him about how, you know about Cam Newton, and I told him, you know, you know, he kind of gave some good, cool takes on, you know, you know, behind the scenes stuff on Cam, and you know, as we talked about Cam Newton is so maligned, and I became, I became more of a fan. The more people, mainstream people hated him, the bigger fan I became, and you know, uh, you know, I think he, you know, as he said. He feels like he's in a really good spot at Carolina. He talked about what he plans, what he wants to do after football. Just a great interview. So you'll have to go back and, and listen to it. Um, but, yeah, Fozzie, um, you know, we've, like I was saying before, we've got the Colt McCoys, the Vince Youngs, the Ricky Williams, and then all the, all the great players. And, you know, he was never the, the greatest player on the roster, but um, he, was, he was just um, what he gave to, to our university and football program uh, is, is beyond measurable. Um, you know, he's just a player that, you know, that I absolutely love, even though he, you know, is not in those caliber players. And he would probably tell you he was never in the caliber. And, that, and that's okay. Uh, but he's just good people. Absolutely. And those are the kind of guys, you know, we talk about recruiting and everybody wants, uh, you know, the superstar. But your roster has to have guys like that, too. You know what I mean? Like, not that he wasn't a huge contributor, and I think he would have contributed more without some injuries, but you need those locker room guys, which from all indications, he's definitely one of those, and I think that's what helps push teams over the top. Yeah. Well, before we close out, I was just giving a few spring practice updates. I know it's spring ball. You know, I was kind of breaking down each quarterback. 
you know, kind of speaking a little bit, I've done some research. I went back and I, I watched a lot of Baylor games on YouTube. I went back and watched some Tulsa. I watched some other high school games that run the Baylor. So I've got a pretty good handle on this Gilbert offense now. Am I an expert ready to, to be an offensive coordinator? No, but, I mean, I, I think I'm smart enough that I can watch, you know, sit up till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning and, and study it. And, and you start to you start to see some things. So I, I, I'm probably going to ever regret saying this, as I said earlier, if, if Flutes is ever going to be a good quarterback, this is the offense he has to be in. I, I think this offense fits him to a T. So if he's going to succeed, this is the best opportunity for him. Um, now, will he succeed? Man, when the lights come on, I had no idea. But it's not surprising that we're hearing how well Swoops is looking. I mean, we've heard it all along that he looks great in practice, but now he's looking really, really good. And I think that is he is growing up. He maybe does have some more confidence. But, again, I think it has more to do with the offense. Uh, I think Hurd still has an opportunity to, to play some. You know, he's just got to develop his arm strength. And I don't know if, if this offense fits him to a T. And then, obviously, Shane. Shane is make, can make all the throws. He's just not ready yet. So, that, that's really, you know, the only take there. And then I kind of went into basically – where I'm at, and I, I've got to see eight or nine wins this year, and I know it's only in March, so I, I'll let's ask you that. Have you kind of really thought about it yet? We really need to see in 2016 in Strong's third year because we just can't continue to have the seven and five, six and six conversations. Yeah, I mean, to me, the thing is the days of – I mean, I barely was able <laughs> – I was barely able to accept that Iowa State debacle. Uh, and I don't think anybody should ever accept it. But now there's like there's no excuses for that. Like that cannot. We if we have any of those, even with an eight and four, if you have an eight and four and two of them sprinkled in are just disasters. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a problem. I really feel like, you know, we're kind of on a Michigan path in a way. And and the good thing we have versus Michigan is you know they had Brady Hoke. He was recruiting well, but he was becoming kind of a laughing stock nationwide, you know, the guy couldn't coach uh-huh. and couldn't handle a big program. But obviously Harbaugh comes in. Now Harbaugh is a heck of a coach, but come on, you still win with your Jimmies and Joes and so he walked right into a team that was ready to ready to bust through that ceiling and uh that's true. You know, get into the big time. And I think that's where we are. I think regardless of what happens this year, uh, you know, unless the wheels just come off and then, you know, a new coach comes in or it's a bad hire and you lose a whole bunch of attrition like uh like we had a little bit with the Mac Brown change, I think this team's getting there. So you know, if I if they walk away eight and four with uh you know at least one scalp that they can say is was a big name like OU or Notre Dame or Baylor or TCU, um, then I think you get really really excited about 2017. Um, but if we have some disasters, uh, then <laughs> I don't know that Charlie will be around to see 2017. But I think that program will still be okay because I think he is laying that foundation uh, you know with some good recruiting classes and guys that I think are starting to grow up hopefully yeah that, that was me I, I'm kind of I'm been, I've been kind of feeling nine and three is, is where, where I, I need us to be and I, I kind of gave some you know uh, a star beside it you know eight and four but I, you know I didn't really break it down but yeah I said depending on how the, 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 the losses are I mean if you're eight and four you know, or, you know, you're 8-3 and three and you lose, you know, the other three games you were right in it and you maybe lost one at last minute field goal or something, yeah. But if you're 8-4 and four and you've got a 50-7 a to seven and then two Ohio State-type games built in and you've beaten, you know, ever, you know, you, you 
You know, you've beaten teams you should have beaten barely. I'm not feeling real good. So an eight and four is going to be more about eyeball tests for me. Uh, nine and three, I feel like we're making progress. So yeah, I I, I can't I agree a hundred percent about what you're saying there. But um, yeah, and, you know, and, and, I think and Mike, I think I, I think if we end up if we end up nine and three next year, uh, you know, we've been through this before, right? Where a team's down and then they have some success. Uh, I'm thinking like '94 when they yeah. won the Sun Bowl with Makovic, and then you know the 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 excitement around the program. I mean, that's the thing you have to contain, right? Because if we go nine and three, I guarantee you people are going to start talking national championship in 2017. I mean, right or wrong, they're going to start talking that. They're going to say, "We're this is it. We're going BCS in 2017." Now, yeah, that may not be that may not be what happens, but you could make the argument that if you're nine and three with guys like Malik going into their junior year in 2017. Hopefully you've got a quarterback situation getting better. I mean, you can start getting excited that at least you're going to be playing in big-time games, and you're going to be at least in the discussion in November. Uh, whether you actually make it or not, you know, remains to be seen. But the hype machine will be over the moon if <laughs> we finish 9-3 and because that's how it is at Texas. Yeah, and I think you'll still get some. I mean, let's say we go eight and four, but we were, you know, fairly competitive in the four losses. Then you and you win your bowl game and you finish nine and four. I think yeah. there's going to be some. So I, I think it's the same thing. Um, you know, obviously a bowl. You know, uh, you know, getting back to a bowl and winning that would would be positive progress. Because I mean, obviously the, the year before the Arkansas debacle and last year not even getting to a bowl. So I think some a bowl game would would bring some excitement. Well, let's jump into this baseball deal. As everybody knows, I was in uh, College Station last night. It was looking looking pretty bleak. The Aggies were chirping pretty good, and then uh, we put together um, a nice little rally there in the top of the ninth. And um, man, um, Olsen Field, you could have heard a pin drop. They puckered up pretty good. Um, they thought, oh, my God, here comes the Longhorns doing it to us again. And I thought the same thing. And, you know, you know, it's funny how the ball bounces. We ended up tying it up anyway. But, when you know, when we made it, it was four to nothing. You know, um, Clemens comes up and hits the double. You know, looking back on that, um, man, it, you know, it was a ground rule double. Yeah, I know we ended up tying it up later. But, I mean, if you look at that play, if, if that just bounces off the wall, the third run comes in. So you're probably sitting there. Um, it, it, four to three, a man on third. Clemens is probably on second. Uh, or, no, excuse me, that other run would have scored. So Clemens is probably sitting on third um, with no outs. Um, it's four to three. I mean, we, we could have, in other words, you never know what could have happened. Uh, and even though we ended up with second and third with one out, you know, we could have pushed a run across. I think we would have been much better off. The ground rule double, I think, basically, long story short, short hurt us in the long run because we could have taken a 5-4 lead. I mean, it's water under the bridge at this point. Um, but I, I guess the whole thing of not just that game is, I mean, we were 79 going into the game. A&M, hey, I mean, I told A&M fans that. I've been saying it. Their baseball team is top five. They're legit. I mean, you look at them, they, they pass the eyeball test. Their guys are big. They got big arms. Their, their pitchers are good. Um, their hitters are good. They're a, they're a solid baseball team. Uh, I mean, let's let's no let's not sugarcoat that at all. This is this is a very. I mean, Aggies have a real good chance of making a run to Omaha. Now, will they Aggie themselves? We don't know, but they've got the talent <laughs> to go real deep. I mean, that that's the key. They they definitely have a pretty good baseball team. Uh, but what I'm seeing with this, I mean, I know Augie had the run two years ago when Nathan Thornhill got hot. The, the team got hot. We got out of that region, um, and we made it to Omaha, and it looked pretty good. But, I mean, I was really looking at it last night when I got home. 
four, five, six of the last years have been like this. I mean, we've been about an average team um, other than the one run. If you take out that year that, that, that we got hot, we'd be on about a six-year run here of not being very good. Uh, Augie's done great things, but I, I, I'm done with him. It's time, even if we'd have come back last night, it's time for a change. I mean, we're 7 and 10. We're probably going to be a finish in the middle of the pack in, in the Big 12 unless we get hot. And this is the key stat for me, and this is not being prepared. We've played 17 games. We've committed 25 errors. You're not going to beat anybody doing that, Matt. No, and it's also the errors that don't count as errors. Um, I mean, Augie ball is not just about bunting. It's situational baseball. It's If there's yeah. a runner at second, you hit the ball to the right side of the field so the runner can advance to third. If you got a runner at third with one out, you get the ball into the outfield so the guy can tag up and score. And the really, really good Augie teams, I mean, it was, like, automatic to watch this. It was, yeah. it was great baseball in the fact that I know people hate bunting, but, you know, besides the bunting, it was you were constantly on the attack because you knew that if they got a guy on base, he was going to steal a base, he was going to move over, he was going to come home. They didn't have to scratch out another hit necessarily to score that run. This team swings and misses way too much. They, I mean, it gets to the point now where I'm shocked when, they actually play situational baseball and move a runner. I mean, it's just too many times. Uh, and I think it all comes back to just I, – I don't know if it's recruiting or what, but the hitting is just uh, – it's a crisis. Um, just I mean, it's unbelievable. You, you just In baseball, and I know people don't do the advanced metrics as much in college baseball, but I'd love to see that because I swear we swing and miss at more pitches than anybody in the country. I wouldn't – be willing to put good money on that, that we, our contact rate is lower than anybody else in, in major college baseball. And that's just, that's losing. And then when you, on top of that, when you make mistakes in the field and you walk a lot of batters, I mean, you, you're just setting yourself up no, no matter what. You, you're wait, you're down 4 nothing before a game even starts. Uh, yeah. And it's just frustrating. Well, and, you know, what, what was interesting, too, is, is, you know, we had second and third um, last night with one out. Uh, you know, guy comes up, he strikes out, and then you know Trace comes up, and uh, man, he got all of that. And I'm gonna tell you what, uh, when when he, when that thing came off the bat, uh, the Aggies around me all, I'm seriously, all put their heads down in their lap and threw their hats. They thought it was a three-run homer. They thought we'd taken a seven-four lead. And actually, the, a lot of people don't know during the entire game, it was pretty much about 85 degrees. And there was no win. It was completely still. Had it still been like that, that would have been a three-run homer. But about, you know, late in eight, probably the eighth inning or so, the wind picked up to about 15, 20 miles an hour, and it was blowing strong across the field and over. And that thing got up in the wind, and it held up. You could see it because you could even go back. If you go back and watch that, the A&M player in the field took off, and he looked up, and he was looking back towards the fence. I mean, Trace got all of that ball. That was, that was a three-run homer. In every inning last night, but the top of the ninth when that wind kicked in. Um, so we could have easily took a 7-4 lead. So, you know, sometimes it's just the luck of the draw. But, I mean, even with that, when we got a man on second and third uh, with one out in the top of the ninth after the rally, we've got to get a run in there and get the lead. Because I just knew. I mean, I had a bad feeling about the bottom of the ninth. And, yeah, and, you know, they come up and then, bam, you know, walk off. You know, give them credit. The guy turned. I mean, as soon as – and I was right there behind the plate, right there when he swung it. I knew it was gone because you know that noise when it when it comes off the bat. He got all of it, and that's and that's that's the point I want to make on this. Is I you said recruiting? I think that is a valid point. 
we have not had a true, true power hitting two or three guys in, in, in forever, probably since we had Scott Keyes and those guys um, um, several years ago. Uh, and, and you've got to have at least one or two guys in the lineup today because those guys, one swing of the bat, you can score a run, you can score three runs, you can end the game. You have got to have that threat at, at several at-bats a game uh, or you're just not going to be competitive anymore. And, and, and it is recruiting. Those type of hitters just don't want to come uh, play for Augie because they're just not, they know they're not going to get a chance to swing the bat. They're, they're liable to come up with two men on and have to bunt over. And I know, like you said, it, it can be very successful baseball when it's working. And years ago, it was a well-oiled machine. I mean, it was Augie ball was more than bunting. It was positional hitting, knocking the guy over, sacrifice fly here. We're not even good at that anymore. So, uh, you know, the baseball team, unfortunately, is like the basketball program with Rick Barnes and the football program. Um, Augie's done great things. It just may be time for change to go in a different direction. It happens to everybody. It, it is what it is. Um, you know, it's just stale, um, and it's just not exciting anymore. Um, and, you know, the record indicates that. You know, as Bill Parcell, you are what your record says you are. We're 7-10. and 10. We are who we are. So I, I'm, I'm, I, I fully expect this to be Augie's last year. I, I think this is the final hoorah. I really do. Yeah, and it's a shame because, you know, a guy like that deserves – would well, nobody deserves it. You earn it regardless. But you would hope that a guy like that would – Get a chance to make a run back to Omaha. Um, you know, yeah. who knows what happens if we if we beat Vandy and go on to win the College World Series? If he maybe if that would have been it. But yeah, you look at the you look at where we are right now, and you know, you listen to the freaking radio. I mean, most of these games since we've been playing on the road, we've been listening to them on the radio broadcast, and I mean, it, it, we keep talking talking about how young the team is, and I just. That's something we got to – that's as poisonous to Texas athletics as the we are back stuff. I mean, yeah. I'm sick and tired of hearing about that we're young. I mean, we're, we're, we were young when we had an experienced pitching staff. Now we're young because we got some new hitters in there, and it's just – I don't see necessarily uh, enough potential. Whereas, you know, like with Charlie, you see a bunch of the freshmen. With Shaka, you see a bunch of these freshmen that are just contributing right away. Uh, I mean, we got guys that are playing as freshmen on the baseball team, but I don't know that I'd look at any of them and say, yeah, this is going to be the cornerstone that we're going to build this thing around, uh, you know, in the next three years. And so, I, you know, I I don't see how things get turned around. I mean, the Big 12 is somewhat down. They have had a hard schedule, but some of the discussions on Twitter I saw, it's like, yeah, we've had a hard schedule, but you still got to win some of these games. If you don't win them, you aren't going to – Make enough noise in region or in conference play to even get to a regional, and when you're three, three, four games under 500, I mean you got zero margin for error now, uh, and yeah. I don't, I don't see. I mean, you sweep Tulane, okay, great. Well, guess who comes into town next weekend? TCU. So <laughs> the next two weekends, you either know you got a pulse or you're DOA. As simple as that. Yeah, and I don't want to, I don't want to miss the number, but I mean, what if we lost like? Nine out of ten to TCU in baseball, eight or nine in a row. I mean, it's not good. I know that. I mean, it, it's it's not. Yeah, it, it's it's not good. I, I mean, whatever it is, if I'm, I'm, I may be off one or two games here or there, but they've pretty much dominated us for about three years. Well, let's jump into the final little segment here, the most exciting time of the year, where it's going to be crazy March Madness. I'm sure we're gonna, there's going to be plenty of buzzer beaters. 
Um, and the NCAA just loves a good old joke. Yes, they've got us playing Northern Iowa and Aggies playing Green Bay. And, I mean, it, unless something crazy happens, um, I think the Aggies will take care of Green Bay. I mean, probably the team that's more um, susceptible to the upset, us against Northern Iowa, but I do expect us to win. And let me just go ahead and say that. I'm going to pick us to win. That's what I picked in my bracket. So we will see a rematch. <laughs> Uh, we will see a rematch on Sunday, so we'll talk about that game in a minute. I want to go ahead, Matt, and um, I'm going to go ahead and give my final four picks. Uh, man, this was a tough one this year for me. I might as well have let my wife Lucy do it, do it, and she she hasn't watched one basketball game in five years, and she probably could have um, did just as well as I could. But um, my final four is this, and I and I did it a couple times, and I finally went with this, and I'm sure I'm gonna I'm probably only going to get one of these right, but. I went ahead and put Kansas and Oklahoma on that side of the bracket. Um, one reason I put Oklahoma, they're either they're either Buddy's going to stay hot and they're going to continue to shoot well, and if they're shooting well and, 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 and he's hitting, they're going to beat anybody they can play in that bracket. If they have one bad game, which they could, um, they could be out. But I, I just I'm going to I'm going to just assume that they're going to be hot. So I've got Kansas and Oklahoma on that side of the bracket in the Final Four. And then I've got UNC and Michigan State, and I've got Michigan State winning it all because of Tom Izzo. When he has this type of team, they usually make deep runs and win championships. I'm a big Tom Izzo guy, so i got Michigan State winning it. Let me hear your Final Four. Uh, I also have Michigan State winning it. Um, basically, I really like Michigan State's draw. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I yeah. haven't watched a lot of their games, but they've got us. You know, they've got they meet all the criteria because they've got a stud player, Valentine. Obviously, right. they, they got a coach. I, you know, here's an amazing stat. I did not realize this that Tom Izzo hasn't won a national championship in 16 years. Like I thought, yeah. it, it feels like they win every three years, but they get to the Final Four almost every other year. They just haven't right. gotten all the way. Um, but anyway, I, I think that they have a favorable draw. I like their matchups. Like I said, they got a superstar. I also have Oklahoma and Kansas. I'm not a big Kansas guy. Um, nothing against – it's not my uh, – I mean, I hate rooting for them. I never root for them. But it, just looking at it completely uh, part, impartially, uh, when I've watched them, I feel like they're susceptible to, to a stumble. Um, I like OU. And I like OU. I, I, I agree 100% with what you said. Um, but what really impressed me was Oklahoma's god awful. At least their guards were against West Virginia early in that game, and that came down to a you know quarter of a second away from being tied up by Buddy Heald at the end. So that made me feel really good about them. Uh, even I think they can survive even if uh, they have an off day. And Lon Kruger, you got to tip your cap. That guy can coach. Uh, my other <laughs> my other uh, final four, which will be my make or break, and most likely break me maybe as early, I guess, as tomorrow. But I have Indiana coming out of the other region because I don't believe in anybody else in that region. I don't like Kentucky. I don't like North Carolina. I think Xavier is the two in that seat in that side. I can't remember, but Villanova. I don't remember. I don't like any of the. I don't like any of the seeds until Indiana. So I took Indiana to the Final Four. So I got Michigan State over Indiana, uh, Oklahoma over Kansas, and Michigan State over Oklahoma in the final. Yeah, yeah. And on our side of the bracket, you know, obviously I, you know, Texas and A and M advancing to the next round. I've got us beating A and M. I just, I'm not, you know, even though, you know, I, no way I'm picking A and M to beat us. But then I had, you know, so I've got Texas, I've got Texas and Oklahoma um, playing, I guess, in the um, Sweet 16. And actually, my first bracket, 
you know, I just felt like, you know, I went back and, and, and thought, you know, they barely beat us in Norman. We handled them pretty good with the big run. For some reason, we match up again. So I could actually, I would be okay with it, obviously, busting my bracket. I could actually see us, be, if we beat A&M and beat Oklahoma, and then uh, I have it advancing. But then I've got Baylor and Oklahoma playing there. I've got Baylor beating Oregon, and I've got an all-Big 12 Baylor OU to go to the uh, the Final Four. So I could see us and Baylor in that game, and then it wouldn't surprise me. We don't match up well with Baylor. Uh, I could see Baylor getting to the Final Four uh, very easy as well. Uh, but I could see us as going as far as the Elite Eight if it plays out because we match up well with Oklahoma. But I just felt like Buddy Hill was going to hit. Was going to have a big game against us. So I had Oklahoma uh, against Baylor. But I could. I, I, that was the one I struggled with. Uh, but I, if, if I if I had us beating Oklahoma, I had us losing to Baylor because I just don't think we we match up well with them, which just really ticks me off because I hate everything Scott Drew stands for. So it just really <laughs> pains me to say that. But um, because I mean, the hey last Baylor, game, Baylor, just I'm just going to say this. Baylor better watch out for Yale. I'm just saying. Yeah. I yeah. I really would have loved I w- and I don't honestly I can't even remember if I, I and I'll probably change it at ten fifty five tomorrow but I would have loved the Yale Baylor upset if Baylor hadn't gotten upset last year I just feel like I know we make fun of Scott Drew but I mean when you've gotten burned the year before yeah it's, I just I think they'll be really ready for that game now the thing is though uh, I believe that game's in Providence that's not a long drive I believe that's about an hour and a half drive for the People from Yale, they're in their first tournament in sixty something years. Uh there that will be a Yale home game, uh as much yeah. as it can be during a neutral site. So if Baylor's not ready and they get rattled, big crazy things could definitely happen in that game. Yeah. But yeah I mean, wouldn't bother year, me I mean, at all. No, no, I wouldn't it wouldn't I wouldn't even mind losing the, the losing my bracket there for a few rounds on that. But yeah, I mean <laughs> this year if you really look at it, I mean, there's legitimately two, three, four teams that could win it. I mean, the last couple of years, we've had one, maybe two great teams. Obviously, Kentucky the last couple of years, you know, have been just, just great teams. Uh, there's just really no true number one or number two that are just head and heels above everybody else. You've got about five or six teams on any given night uh, linked together. And even those five or six could win it they're all susceptible to getting beat in the first or second round by anybody else. So I, I think we're in yeah. for a lot of fun this March. I'm really looking forward to this tournament um, because I think we are going to have some upsets. And, um, you know, I, I got a feeling a lot of people's brackets are going to get busted. The only, like you said, the only pick that I feel the most confident about is Michigan State getting to the Final Four. And and they, and they may not get there. But, I mean, I just, I like, I, Tom Izzo, like you said, it's hard to believe he hasn't won more because they get there so often, because he's a great March Madness coach. He knows how to coach in this tournament and get his team to the next round. And so I feel like that's uh, – if, if I was betting on any of it, that would be the one I would put the most money on is the Tom Izzo team. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. I can't wait. I'm going to be worthless at work tomorrow. Yeah. And, and I'll and I tell you what, I mean, for, for, you know, losing Cam Ridley, I want to talk a few minutes on, on Shaka Smart. Um, I mean, to be quite honest, the, the, the wonders that he has done with this team. I mean, you're starting to see, you know, now that I've seen a full season of what he really wants to do, you know, I think for Shaka to really be successful at Texas uh, and, and run and, and do what he wants to do on the offensive and defensive end, we've got to have, even though Ridley is a really good player, um, you didn't have him much of the year. 
he really got the most out of Prince. But Prince is the type of player that you've got to have under a, a Shaka Smart team. The difference is he wants a player maybe a, not quite as – he wants a player who's just as athletic that can run the floor and, and guard the rim on the defensive end, but he also wants that guy to be able to pull up and hit a three. In other words, a player like Jared Allen, the player, the five-star guy, we've got to get that. He, um, you've got to have bigs that can run, guard, defend the rim, but can also score. So Prince gives him about 50% of what he's looking for in a big in his, in his scheme. The difference is Prince is not an offensive player. You've got to have that mold uh, that, that can also score. And I think once he gets one or two bigs and gets – and you're seeing the guards with the Davises and the, and, and the guys that can fill it up, the athletic, the roaches, the guys that can cover all over. Um, so you're, we're starting to get a little picture – of what a shock of smart team is going to look like when he gets all the pieces together. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm pretty excited about it. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, man, what I love is uh, it's not even stuff that happens that gets on the score sheet, but some of these freshmen, man, like like Eric Davis and Kerwin Roach, I mean, they've had their growing pains, right? They've had good games, bad games, but I love the attitude. I mean, they will make a mistake. <laughs> Next time down, if they're open, they're launching that three. You know what I mean? And I, I I, will live with teams making mistakes like that. Like if we lose to Northern Iowa on Friday night, but we lose guns to blazing, uh, then you just tip your cap and you move on. But I just, I don't see, I know Shaka's been, you know, working on this team trying to get their confidence up. Uh, I don't think the confidence is a problem for the young guys. I think it's some of the older guys uh, that may be an issue. These young guys, man, they're, they, they're there to play ball. And uh, I'm excited to see what's going to happen with those guys when they get a couple more years. Yeah, and I mean we've got the the young kid coming in next year, and, and the James kid. We've got I'd say um, I think that the the key piece now for for Shaka next year is, is getting um, Jared Allen uh, on board. And you know the kid's been in Austin for just about every game, so I, I'm feeling I'm starting to feel pretty good of where we sit with him. It's recruiting, so anything can happen. But uh, man, you throw him into the mix with. Uh, a couple of other guys we've got coming back. And, I, and I'm going to tell you what, um, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Taylor just jumps to the NBA draft. I mean, yeah, I mean, is he a second-round pick? Is he first? I don't know. But if you look at the early boards of the NBA draft, uh, there, I think another year would do him well. And, I mean, if Taylor came back with everybody else, that would just be gravy. Now, I do think he'll probably end up declaring, even if he, you know, is a late, you know, uh, a late pick. He's hard to turn down any amount of money. But man, if he was to decide to come back, that would just be a huge, huge uh, piece of the puzzle for next year. Yeah, I, you know, I just don't see him getting drafted. I mean, he can. You can always yeah. get the uh, free agent contract and play a developmental league, and you're still going to make money and everything. I mean, not huge money, but you'll make something. Uh, but he's a really good college guard. But I just, I. Yeah, if he if he stayed in the gym all off season and just worked on his shot, uh, he's got the floater and he can drive, but that ain't gonna fly in the NBA. You have got to be able to hit the outside no. shot. Um, I will say this: I'll go on record on the Orange Report though. If Shaka, if Shaka beats Texas A&M and OU in back-to-back NCAA tournament games today, is what March sixteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth. I will go on the record that I will buy season tickets for basketball next year. Even though I live in Fort Worth, I will be a season ticket holder for basketball. If he can knock off A&M and OU 
in the NCAA tournament. So, Shaka, on you, baby. Well, I mean, I, if, if Bradley can give us 10 or 12 minutes and, and, and Taylor's foot's um, healthy, uh, I think there's a good chance. I mean, that was the side I, I, I struggled with. Um, I mean, I think Oklahoma, oddly, you know, they barely beat us in Norman, you know, and then obviously we know what happened in Austin. Both teams were close. You know, they made a little late run in Norman. We made a late run in Austin. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, uh, you, know uh, you never know what can happen. I mean, we match up well with them. Um, so, uh, A&M, we're, we're, we're a much improved team uh, over what we what they saw, um, you know, early in the season. I mean, A&M's had a good year, and, I, and they are a solid basketball team. But, I mean, is there any comparison of, of the weekend and week-out competition that we faced in the Big 12 versus who they played in, in the – I mean, the SEC. The SEC, I mean, basically has two of 14 teams in the round of 64. Vandy looked like a like an NIT team yesterday. So, they've got Kentucky and them. I mean, this is, I mean, the SEC was trash this year in basketball. I mean, there's no – I mean, the numbers tell you that. Only two of 14 are in the round of 64. That's a that's a non-disputable fact. That's trash. So, um, yeah. so you know, now, was everybody else trash in Kentucky and, and A&M that much better than everybody else? I mean, the tournament's going to tell us that. My prediction is that Kentucky and A&M are probably done both in the second round. So, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Um, you know, one you know, thing, Mike – one thing from the Texas side, I don't know what you think about this, but as much as we kind of groan like, oh, great, you know, even if we make a long tourney run, it's like rematch city all the way down the road. But right. the Northern Iowa game scares me more than anything just because it's somebody new. You know, you, have, you talk about the pressure of the tournament, but if you're playing a familiar opponent, I just wonder whether that eases the pressure a little bit, maybe on both sides, right? I mean, if Texas wins and A&M wins, they're playing Texas A&M. They've already seen those guys this year, and A&M team Texas. So I just wonder whether it becomes just a game, right? And now you're not caught up in all this tournament nonsense and, you know, the pressure and all of that. Same with playing Oklahoma. You know, there's no big bad two seed that we're scared of. We know these guys. Like you said, we played them close in Norman, beat them in Austin. It ain't nothing. Just get out there and play basketball. So I think that could actually end up being a good thing, even though it's a little annoying to, you know, have to – march through all of your rivals to make a deep run. Well, yeah, and I mean, yeah, I think there is some truth to that. Uh, we, you know, and, and with us playing A and M, we beat them early. I mean, they beat us early in the season, so obviously there's going to be a, um, a somewhat of a revenge factor. You don't want to lose to them twice. So I mean, and I mean, can I can I just get real with people? I was at the the baseball game last night. Uh, I mean, I've been to uh, enough Longhorn Aggie. Baseball games, basketball, football games through my years. I mean, I know I know a lot of Longhorn fans are not going to like what I have to say right now, but I mean, you know, because we like to we like to pretend that you know that well, you know, they're they're little brother and they're they're not important and, and you know it's not a rivalry. Well, it's it's a rivalry. We, I mean, let's get real. I was pumped up last night. We want to beat their ass. They. They want to beat us. It's just, it's just as intense as when we play OU. It's a rivalry. I, I mean, I don't know why they're not our rival. OU is our rival. It is a rivalry because if you didn't, if it ain't a rivalry, you wouldn't care if you lost to them. Well, you know what? It's, I, I don't want to lose to them. I, I'm just going to get real. It pisses me off to lose. So it's a rivalry. So <laughs> let's just let's just get real. I mean, it's a rivalry. If we play on Sunday, every damn Longhorn wants to beat their ass, and they want to beat us. It's a rivalry. We hate them. They hate us. 
let's just get real with it. I'm, I'm tired of even having this conversation. It's a rivalry. I don't care. I, you may disagree, Matt, but we'll go ahead. <laughs> I think it just takes about five minutes of looking at your Twitter timeline to know that it's a rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, but, but see, I think the difference now, the difference where it separates is, is if you go back and look at my tweets last night after it was over, I congratulated them. I even said it was a good game. I appreciated them for the hospitality. But, I mean, it's a rivalry. I mean, it was. You could. I was in the stands. They were chirping at us. We were chirping at them. Uh, you know, it's a rivalry. If we didn't care, we wouldn't even acknowledge them. We do acknowledge them because we care, because we want to beat them. They want to beat us. Now, do they hate us probably more than most Longhorn fans hate them? Probably so, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. But I, I think it's even more intense now since they've left. It has it has severed the relationship even more. So it is what it is. It's a rivalry to me. It doesn't have to be a rivalry to everybody else. But um, so I still Mike, enjoy let me, playing. Let me ask you a question. Uh, okay. We're there, and since, since we don't want to talk about the actual outcome of the game. So just give us a – you know, I know there was some chirping during the heat of the moment of the game, but otherwise, what was the scene like there? How were you treated? You know, all that regular kind of stuff. Actually, actually, uh, I was treated fine. Now, I do know a couple Longhorn people um, had, had a few issues. You know, I didn't. I stood where I stood many times at Olsen Field right there in an area. And there was actually a couple Aggie guys. They were both undergrads um, from Lufkin, and they stood right there with me the whole game, and they were actually very cordial. They rooted for this team. I rooted for them and my team. And they, we shook hands after the guys. They, they congratulated when we came back. We chirped a little bit. But it was it was admirable stuff. There was nothing really bad. Now, I will say this. When they hit the walk-off homer, um, the fans who were sitting in front of us and the A&M fans standing behind me, they kind of put their fingers in my face and, you know, were kind of doing their thing. And, you know, they all started to chant SEC, SEC, which I, I wasn't even going to bring it up. But since you had, but since you asked, I, you know, and I even tweeted this last night. I mean, you know, and, you know, Aggie fans enjoy enjoy your win. It was a big win, walk off home run against your rival. You, you can you do consider us a rival, so you beat us. Congratulations, you outplayed us. You won the game. Why don't you revel in that? I mean, why do you want to be a Vanderbilt or a Kentucky or a or a, or a, or a you know a, a, a Mizzou or another? No, nobody in the SEC and chant SEC. I mean, come on. I mean, don't. I mean, I mean, if you want to be a, if you want to be an elite club in the SEC, have everybody else chant SEC about things you do instead of you chanting about what other teams do. That's what you need to strive to become. A and M, become the Bamas of the world, the the Floridas, the, the Auburns. Instead of so when you chant for them, maybe they'll start chanting for you one day. So I mean, that was. But overall, I mean, that, that was for me. It was positive. Uh, and I don't, you know, and I don't know why that is. Um, I think it's for a couple reasons. I saw some Aggies there that I've met through different sporting events. So they other Aggies see me shake their hands. I mean, obviously, people saw Billy Lucci tweet at me. I've talked to him before. People see me talk to him. So I've been, I'm older. I've been going to these things forever. A lot of people even there will recognize me. Hey, they know me. So uh, you know, and I, and I don't, and I, and I know I'm intense on Twitter. I do respect – I mean, you've been with me on road games. I don't talk a lot of trash un, unwarranted too much. I don't stir it up, and I'm not rude. I respect that I'm on the other team's home home turf, and I'm outnumbered. So I think, one, people see me interacting with people I know that are from other fan bases, so they don't – have. 
But I think also I am 6'3", 6'4", 265. People think, well, I may not mess with him. He may slap the shit out of me. So, you know, I mean, I mean, I think that's part of it too. And, you know, so um, and I generally don't don't initiate trash talking on a, on a road trip unless somebody particularly says something specific to me and then I'll give it back to them. I pretty much respect that I'm on the opponent's um, home home court, home field, or or whatever. So, but overall, it was a good experience. But I mean, it was the typical Aggie experience. I mean, they chirped at us the whole time. You know, you've been there. It's part of it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's uh, always an adventure. And I mean, look, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, it's not like going into uh, you know a war zone when you go to College Station. Generally, they are. Uh, you know, before and after the game, they're friendly. It's not like you got to worry about ending up in the ER, you know, getting, getting yeah. sucker punched or anything, nonsense like that, which I always give them credit for that. As in, as intense as they are during the games, it's generally pretty mild both before and after. Um, I, my only trip to Olsen Field was, uh, God, I don't even remember what year it was. It was probably around 07. But we won on a Friday night. I think it was where we played Friday there and then Saturday, Sunday in Austin. And yeah. we won on the play at the plate, infamous. They thought they thought they got us. We scored a go-ahead run and then closed it out. And uh, I'll never forget that uh, after the game was over, of course, you know, Scott Wilson leads the team in the eyes of Texas from the stands, and I'm standing there holding my horns up. And this old Aggie got in my face because I was taunting them uh, for by singing the eyes of Texas in their in their field, and I mean, of course, it's somebody that's that that's that stupid. You don't even try to reason with them. But I just thought, like, right, they make it's the tradition that they sing their songs after games, no matter whether it's home or away. And certain, somehow that's perfectly okay. But if anybody else does it in their stadium, it's taunting. So those are the kind of annoying things you have to deal with there. But otherwise, you know, they're generally harmless. Yeah, I mean, we did it. We we sang the eyes right before the game started, right after they, you know, they did their hullabaloo connect connect BS, and then um, <laughs> and then of course they they screamed and tried to drown it out. And then obviously after the game they they drowned it out. And then obviously the the pitcher from A and M that you know that you know his shenanigans and and you know and and then the the, the players got in. You know, I I really thought they were going to go to blows at the end. It was it was pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Trace. Um, Trace got pretty close. I mean, it, it, I really thought it was getting ready to be a full-on brawl because both teams were, were jawing pretty good at that. Even the coaches, a couple coaches were going. I mean, it was it was pretty it was pretty intense there for a couple minutes. Um, uh, but yeah, they, they, the typical yeah, we can sing our song at your stadium, but if you sing the eyes here, you know you're caught in this. Yeah, but I mean it's typical Aggie stuff. But overall, positive experience. I mean, I walked back to my truck. All by myself, nobody really said nothing. You know, a couple of people said tough loss, nice comeback, yada yada yada. But you know, nothing. You know, or you know, I did get a few. Um, you know, take your ass back to Austin, TCF. You know, all the you know the typical stuff. You know, but you know, but it, you know, it, 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 it was nothing. I wasn't expected that Big Mike couldn't handle. I've been there, been there so many times. It's second nature to me. So, um, but you know, they were the better team. They got the hit when it was needed, but. Uh, I tell you what, um, they were puckered up there in the ninth inning, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, at least, mm-hmm. at least we made it interesting. So, with that said, we'll move on because um, we're over. Matt, I'm glad we got to finally get the show back off. Um, I want to really, really thank Fozzie for coming on. Um, We've been having it in the works for a few weeks, and finally um, he, had, he had sent me a message back a couple of days ago that he could go this Wednesday. So, we did it, and I was glad to do it. And, uh, man, we always appreciate X Longhorns and, 
and, and especially one of his caliber coming on the show. It's Like I've said before, the best thing about doing this show has been able to do all of the interviews and interaction the last two years. So, again, thanks to Fozzie. Um, um, we'll probably get back on, if not next week, the week after. I'm going to really try my best to, to get back on a normal schedule. Hopefully my work schedule will calm down, but it's been pretty crazy lately. It is what it is. So, Matt, tell our listeners where they can find you if they want to further interact with you. Sure thing. You can find me on Twitter, at UT Tailgaters. That's no spaces, no hyphens, just at UT Tailgaters. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, make a public warning that with a 9.30 tip-off on a Friday night at the start of the tournament, uh, things could get a little blue on Twitter Friday night. So hopefully I don't have to wake up Saturday morning and do a whole bunch of deleting of tweets, but uh, just buckle up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think Northern Iowa is going to give us a game, but I think at the end of the day, I think we're going to handle our business and um, get us to the next round. That's that's my pick. So, as always, you can find me on Twitter at MBHornsFan. Again, thanks for listening. We'll talk to everybody soon. Again, appreciate you, Fozzie Whitaker. Always remember, the eyes of Texas are upon you. Hook them horns, and we'll see you, if not next Wednesday, the following Wednesday. Let's go get a win tomorrow in March Madness and beat the Aggies on Sunday. Hook them. See you next time. Dad told me when it comes to football in Texas, there's only one team. They played down and off. Saturdays in the fall at Darrell K. Royal, a hundred thousand strong. And as I grew, so did my pride for the thunder of old smoke and singing Texas fight for Bebo and the boys down there. Michael Rackford